0: Hello, and welcome to Twice Exceptional, teens exploring and living with neurodiversity. I am your host, Kate. I am 16 years old, the middle child of three, and my favorite color is green. More importantly, I have ADHD, and I am gifted, making me Twice Exceptional. I started this podcast because living with ADHD can be difficult, and I wanted to find a way to reach people and share some information from the perspective of a neurodivergent teenager living with a neurodiverse sibling. In this podcast, I discuss my experiences living with ADHD, interview guests, and research different aspects of neurodiversity. In this episode, I interview Mike Walker, the owner of Gold Medal Swim School, to discuss his experiences and career with ADHD. Just a quick note, during the interview, Mike does refer to ADHD as ADD a few times. This is mostly a generational thing, and as I have mentioned in the episode ADD or ADHD, ADHD is actually the correct term, ADA- ADD is just an older term. So hi, Mike, thank you for joining us on the podcast.
1: I'm actually really, really excited to join you. This is amazing to have an outlet like this to reach out to so many young people. I think it's fantastic. We never had anything like this when I was growing up.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to do this too. So for people who don't know you, can you tell you us a little bit about yourself? Just like yeah. what you do now and stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. So my name is Mike Walker. Uh, I own the gold medal swim school in Chandler, Arizona. I was a former collegiate coach at the University of Texas, University of California, Berkeley and the University of Illinois. Um, I was lucky enough to coach pretty much every major international meet across the world to Olympic teams, world championships. Uh, I've been really blessed to have coached a lot of amazing athletes, um, some with challenges, like we're going to discuss today, but I've been really, really fortunate to surround myself with fantastic people. Mm-hmm. Um, the swim school gets to touch the lives at a fundamental swim level, but really have had access to athletes and, and young people from really, uh, young kids, five, four five years old, all the way up to pro athletes, 25 and 30 years old.
0: <laughs> okay. Thank you. And then, so you have ADHD, right?
1: In 18-point-bold font, I have
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so when did you first hear about ADHD, just, like, in general?
1: Well, something that actually, I'm 53 years old, and, you know, obviously, I grew up in a very different era than maybe a lot of your, your viewers come from. Uh, there there wasn't something, I mean, it was there, but it wasn't something talked about, and it definitely had a very negative stigma. Um, mm-hmm. So if you thought you had it, you kind of wanted to hide it. Um, It wasn't something you embraced. Um, Uh I probably didn't learn that I even was aware that I had it till probably college, Uh maybe even post-college. So it was probably in the nineties when I really even learned what it was. And it wasn't until I really started coaching that I learned that it could be a superpower. And I hope we get to talk about that a little bit today.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think that's going to come up later. But so what was your life like before your diagnosis? Like, what are some of the things you did before then?
1: Um, I was someone like many people that have this gift. I was someone that in a crunch time, in a big time moment, in a stressful moment, Mm -hmm. uh, if the house was on fire, I could perform at a very high level. Uh, I tended to wait on assignments till the very last minute because it created crisis for me. Um, I tended to delay, to procrastinate. It was a way for me to create enough intensity that I would, that I would hyper-focus. Mm-hmm. And um, before, I, I never understood. And I think I felt bad about myself that I wasn't able to sit down like my friends could and, and read for hours on end or do homework assignments that were more mundane in nature. And I, and I felt like I was undisciplined. I felt mm-hmm. like I wasn't mature enough. And at times I'm going to be honest when, especially when I was younger, I felt somehow I wasn't smart enough or I wasn't, Mm -hmm. I I wasn't like they were, I wasn't like them. That means Mm -hmm. that I must've been less. And that Uh was a really hard part for me, Kate. That really was, I felt less as a young person because I, I didn't look, I didn't fit the mold like the rest Mm -hmm. of the students. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I understand that. I feel like that still kind of applies now with certain things, especially (laughs) in school. Mm -hmm. And then, so when were you diagnosed with ADHD and was there a primary reason for the diagnosis?
1: Um, I think it was more through self-discovery of working with athletes. I would work with athletes that weren't picking up information. They were losing focus. They, um, Like we'd have team meetings and I'd have to repeat things four and five times, or I'd have to always make sure I printed information out for them. And it wasn't until I really started to understand the psychology. I mean, I took a lot of psychology classes in college. Um, I took a lot of sports psychology also. So I had some understanding that it was there, but until you really deal with it on a practical level, I never thought it was really me until I started working with athletes and said, wow, the things they do, I do. And mm-hmm. so, really, through helping them, I really started to go through a self discovery phase that allowed me to help myself. And I probably was never officially diagnosed. I mean, I have a doctor now that kind of laughs with uh-huh. me about how, how, you know, how much I have uh, ADD, but, yeah. you know, I've never really been officially diagnosed. Yeah. I've really managed coping skills.
0: Uh huh. And then, so, what were some of the major changes that really followed after you kind of figured out that you had ADHD?
1: Um, I learned, I guess, tricks, if you will, people would call them coping mechanisms, but you end up learning how to harness it as a power. Uh-huh. Um, the hyper-focus ability of, of our gift is really a blessing. And if you understand uh-huh. how to utilize it, I started to utilize it as something that I always treated as a power that I didn't want to get rid of, <laughs> that I really did use it to help propel me. I, you know, I, when I first started coaching, I would tell people, um, I was passionate. I think when you when you have our situation or have our gift, finding that passion in your life really takes it and makes it a gift because you can super focus and get so much high quality work done because you're so passionate about it. So uh-huh. for me, that's where I really started. I started understanding that if I fed my passion, then my focus would increase. So that was probably number one. And the second thing I did was I would not put myself in positions where my gift was then a weakness. I wouldn't uh-huh. put myself in situations where I could be easily distracted. Like studying at a Starbucks for me is a complete dumpster fire. I, yeah. I, that's not even a place I could study. So I uh-huh. wouldn't do things like that. I wouldn't go to the library and sit in the common room. I'd get a, I'd get a room and I'd reserve it for myself. Yeah. And I would buckle down and put myself in a position to be more focused. So I think you end up learning coping skills that both help you to do better but also you remove those situations that aren't going to help you. Like group studying for me in college uh-huh. was, was more of a social event than it ever was. I was going to get work done. So yeah. as long as I understood that it was a play date, I was fine. I had to set aside <laughs> private time later. So
0: yeah, it's I more, you,
1: know. I think you just develop those skills yeah. that help you become better or you avoid the weak moments.
0: Yeah. I know for me, at least personally, I get distracted even in a quiet room sometimes. Like yeah. I, I do too. distract myself a lot but
1: you're like, wow, this zipper on my backpack is so (laughs) interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I I get that too. Music helps me a lot. Music kind of helps me calm down. For me, a lot of it is the calming part. I need to be more calm.
0: Yeah. That works for me pretty well. Honestly, I listen to music when I do most of my homework and it actually helps.
1: Do you Um, listen to music that gets you excited or more music that chills you out?
0: Depends. Usually chill. Like coffee chills me more than it makes me more hyper, really. So I don't know.
1: Uh, I caffeine. I don't know if we're supposed to discuss that. But yes, <laughs> I drink a lot of coffee, especially when I have to get a lot of work done. I do. Yeah. Coffee tea, green tea helps me for sure. Uh-huh. A soda. When I was younger, I was naturally drawn, I think, to high caffeinated beverages. I drank coffee very early on and I didn't understand why. Uh-huh. Um, it was actually through your mom, Dr. Dunn that I, I actually understood why the caffeine was so effective. I actually learned that from her. Uh
0: uh-huh. Yeah. And then do you have any specific stories that you feel like really shows what it's like to live with ADHD?
1: <sighs> I tend to see the world through very positive eyes. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm not, I I hope I can come up with maybe one that was more heartfelt and and difficult, Uh but I I think the key for me, a story I had is I can remember being at Berkeley and Uh I used to give video for every athlete on the team from swim meets. And this Uh was before it was as simple as, as video editing on a computer. Okay. So it took a lot of time, but I was so passionate about getting it done. I can remember walking into the office at 12 o'clock and working straight through no breaks, no nothing until after nine o'clock at night. And I literally looked up from my desk and I looked outside and it was pitch black.
0: <laughs> and so the, the,
1: the idea was I was so focused on what I did. I was so enthralled, so passionate. The football game had gone on. I had, had, I had like 10 missed calls on my office phone, but I was so enthralled with doing these videos. And I was so passionate about wanting to get it done that I literally worked for nine hours straight. And it was like that, but it comes back to passion. And when Uh you're passionate about things, ADD becomes a gift Uh and you can just just do amazing things. And so I can do amazing amount of work in really short period of time at 36 videos to do. I can remember it was 36. And I always remembered that it was just so important for me in my life to love what I do. And that, then I think ADD becomes a a real blessing. I I really Uh do on the bad side. I think the biggest one is I would sit in work groups at school. And I can remember this when I was like in fifth, sixth grade and I got in trouble pretty much every day. So I would sit in these work groups and within five minutes every day, I'd be sitting in the back of the classroom. And I probably went, I was, I think I was actually a frequent flyer in the detention program in my elementary school. Um, I had my own chair in detention (laughs) and it was just because I couldn't sit down. I couldn't focus. And Uh it was It was embarrassing. I guess that was the worst part. I I did pretty well in school, Uh um, but it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. Always getting sent to the back table. It was embarrassing Uh having to go to the principal's office. And so those parts were probably some of the hardest that you get singled out because you can't follow the box. You don't follow that line. And, And that part, I'm really sensitive now with athletes that have, have it that you know, you really try to put them in a situation to be successful. Me going uh-huh. in a group project at a table with a bunch of my friends, that was playtime. That was not get homework done time. Yeah. So I wouldn't put myself as a, as a student in that position, but Kate, I, I can't tell you getting sent to the back really did hurt me feeling uh-huh. like I wasn't like them. Uh-huh. And and that really was hard. I have a lot of memories like that. It's funny. I can remember it a blue chair in my fifth grade classroom and I literally sat in that blue chair like I owned it. And that was hard. It was the bad uh-huh. chair. People had sat in the back. that got in trouble. They were bad. Uh-huh. And that was hard. That was hard. Yeah,
0: There's definitely a lot of struggles with school and ADHD, especially like for me, I can't sit still. And one of my teachers in third grade had a big problem with the fact that I would need to move around constantly.
1: Yeah. Did you ever have one of those squish balls? Have you ever sat on one of those, like the the physio balls? I think that would have been really good for me. I I really did. Did you ever try one of those?
0: Some of my teachers have those, yeah.
1: Do you like them or no?
0: It's fine, yeah. But Um, you feel like a
1: goofball sitting on this big ball in the middle of (laughs) class too, you know? Yeah. I think the segregation that goes on with, you know, when you get ostracized when you have it, and then you can't follow the rule or the Mm -hmm. line or the standard, I think that feeling of being different and not in a positive way. I think that's, for me, those are some of the most harmful memories because uh-huh. you end up thinking you're less than, and yeah. there couldn't be anything further from the truth. And if I had to say one thing, maybe there's one person that would less like really listen. You're eventually, as you get older, you're going to understand that this is a superpower and it's going to separate you in life and going to do amazing things, but you're young and you may not know everything that it can do for you, but but don't give up. Like, uh-huh. like you have something really special that can help you. As soon as you get older and you, you work on it, it can really be something powerful.
0: Yeah. That kind of leads into the next question, which is how has ADHD helped you in your career? <clears throat>
1: um, I, I think I learned in college, the classes I was passionate about and excited about and wanted to do I did really well in the classes I thought were boring and a waste of time. I really struggled to pass. Uh-huh. So for me, I did learn in college through school that when I took those kind of courses, so then I picked a job and I didn't worry about money. I, I didn't, I wanted to have a job that made me feel like I wanted to get up in the morning. Uh-huh. And so I just, I directed my whole life that way. And it really, it did affect my choices in life. Cause I knew if I was going to be successful, I had to really enjoy what I was doing. And Uh I think that's probably how school helped me in terms of how it transitioned to my life is that Uh it really did teach me loving what you do matters. And in high school, it's harder. I get that middle school is harder. You have a set amount of classes, but if you can kind of find a way to make it more relevant for you, like maybe Uh you don't love math, but you're like, oh, I do love, you know, some other part and I can take this one area of math. Oh, I like money. So then I can make money and that kind of connect, but you try to connect the dots to create more relevance.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And then you've kind of already touched on this a little bit, but has there been any significant struggles that came with ADHD as well? Because there's a lot of benefits, obviously, but.
1: Right, the, I think the struggles are the mundane tasks. The things that aren't exciting and part of greatness is a grind that you got to grind through the things you don't want to do. And especially when you're younger, so the struggle are things that I don't find important, things that I don't think are exciting, things that aren't fun, things that aren't readily stimulating. Mm-hmm. I have a very hard time with those tasks. Yes. And I had a worse time when I was younger. So the struggle would be is having to complete those tasks. Some of school is completing the tasks. That's uh-huh. you're successful. If you complete your homework, you turn it in on time. You make sure it's clean. It's well-organized those things to me tend to be boring tasks. And so the struggle was in school where task completion is is highly valued, those things were really hard for me. And if I was gonna talk to someone who was in middle school or high school or even college is realize that that's part of the discipline. It's like a muscle. And that if you can identify, okay, these are boring things that I don't wanna do and take them as a challenge to create importance, you can kind of overcome some of those those obstacles, boring things, boring tasks, mundane tasks, repeated things tend to be really difficult for me. And still to this day. Yeah. Um, and I have to respect that about myself. I have to respect that about myself. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's, that's my Charlie. So okay, that's my dog. I apologize. She gets a little excited when I talk about, my, you know, these.
0: Things. <laughs> and then <laughs> this is what part of ADHD do you think needs to be addressed more and why? Like if you had to choose one part.
1: I think, are you talking about more on the personal side, like for for the person that has it or the person that engages with someone that has it, like as a teacher, educator, coach, or more as the person themselves?
0: Just like in general, like for the public and stuff. So more the teacher, educator,
1: I I think the big one is realizing that, you know, I call them the sparkles, the wiggles, the not being able to sit still, that this isn't personal with your athlete, with your student. It's not personal. They're not sitting there saying, I can't wait to be disruptive. They're not. So I think as an educator, it's really important to be sensitive to moments that are going to be challenging for for someone that has this and, and get ahead of it even if you prep them for it, like giving them some advanced notice. Hey, we've got some stuff that we've just got to get through here. Let's really work to be on point here. This is super important. But I promise you after this, there's going to be a break. So you're not going to do this all day. I think communicating in advance can really help getting them prepared because I think some of it is also acknowledging them as a real person, that Mm -hmm. they're not doing this intentionally and that you can respect them. I think sometimes people with our gift there's a certain amount of disrespect for it because they think we're lazy. We're undisciplined, We're not wanting to do it. And I think as an educator, if you can treat them with respect, try to get ahead of it a little bit and give Mm -hmm. them a finite amount of time. So they know that there's a release time. Like Uh this is going to be about 30 minutes of really boring work. But after that, we're going to do these things, which I think you'll find more interesting. And I think the respect piece is huge. These are just young people in your situation that, Do want to learn. They do want to succeed. No one wants to do badly. No one wants to make their teacher mad. So if we can respect them and know it's coming and understand it's a real thing, I think if we can work with that a little bit more, I think the educator will become less frustrated. The student will feel feel cared for and respected. And ultimately their goal will be met, which is productivity. That we want them to excel and do well. That's what the teacher wants. And that's obviously what the student wants. I think respect is really a big deal.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And then this one kind of has two different questions. But the first one is, do you tell people you have ADHD? Like, does it come up frequently? Or does it not really come up?
1: Uh, If you hang out with me for a half hour, you'll know it pretty quickly. Um, I, it's so funny. I don't have personally, I don't have any stigma about this. I I really don't. Uh So I, if, if it came up or if I saw someone, I don't tend to, I never, I, I shouldn't say never. I rarely would say someone has this because yeah. I'm not a doctor and I don't even play one on TV. <laughs> so for me, I call them the wiggles. Like my daughter has the wiggles, uh-huh. right. Um, I, but, but my oldest son doesn't and everyone's mm. different. So I call them the Wiggles or the Sparkles or the energy. I'll talk about it as energy a lot. Uh But I, when I do interact with people, I have no problem saying, "Hey, little off point right now." You know, sometimes my ADD goes up, and you know, I just need to get a little Mm -hmm. bit more on point and and I reboot. I'll tell people that I need to reboot and refocus, Uh and that I don't think I'm on point. But I try to hold myself to a high standard, and I have no problem admitting, "Hey." I'm not being disciplined right now. I need Uh to be more on point for you. And, you know, I do have a little ADD. So this happens Uh to me sometimes. And then I kind of get myself to reboot.
0: Yeah. I've never really had an issue with telling people for me personally, but I know some people do not like to tell people because of like stereotypes they face, which Mm -hmm. was kind of the next part, which is what stereotypes have you faced because of ADD?
1: Um, I'm gonna be honest, I think people nowadays deal with it more than I did because it wasn't publicly discussed when I was your age. Like it was such a dirty secret. Mm -hmm. Um, you were like weren't supposed to tell people that you were bouncing off the walls. It was like it was pretty obvious. Um, but it wasn't discussed. It really wasn't. And and even if it was, it was only something that you know, people that had problems had. But I think nowadays it's way harder because there is more information. And uh-huh. some people choose to have a negative feeling about it. And it's mostly a lack and an ignorance that people have. They don't uh-huh. understand how to relate to it. So I think the stigma that does exist is when they're ignorant and have a lack of education. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't speak heavily to the stereotypes I had or the stigma I had when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just trying to survive it. But as I've been older I've never felt a negative stigma with it because I understand. I think more because you know I'm older that uh-huh. I understand more how to use it to my advantage. And I laugh at myself. You have to have a good <laughs> sense of humor if you have ADD. You just have to. You're like, whoa, I'm over here now, and yeah. you just have to laugh at yourself a little bit. Life's too short. Like we got to lighten up a little bit.
0: Uh huh. Okay. And then you're a coach, so you've worked with a lot of athletes, obviously, and some of these athletes you've mentioned have ADHD or similar types of things. So what type of things have you done to like help those type of athletes get the best out of their coaching experience?
1: I, I think communication, whether it's an athlete or student, I think communication a number one sitting and having a discussion because it creates two things. Number one, when you directly communicate about it as a coach or a teacher with the student or the athlete, number one, you're, you're treating them with respect. And we talked about that. Uh-huh. So number one is just, asking how they best take in information.
0: Uh What's the
1: best situation? Do they have to have it written down? Is it better if I create a cue card? Is it best if I repeat it to them first? Or if I review the information before the practice or the test, or I I may even have some notes I want them to follow along with. Sometimes having notes um, given in advance can help someone stay a little bit more on point. But I think Uh it really does come to the idea that you communicate them with them, with respect, with mm-hmm. patience, and then find out what their coping strategies are. Cause a lot of kids, even if they haven't identified it, will have coping strategies that they know work yeah. and then you take it from them. So a lot of times in, in education or coaching, the real learning comes from them that they're going to teach you how to help them. And uh-huh. that also makes them more empowered. So they're, they're taking charge of their gift. And they're saying, Hey, let's try these things. Let's try these things. And as soon as we create that connection for you and your athlete or student, well, that connection is a bridge that helps them become more focused. Uh So I think that's number one communication. And then number two is patience. Uh You know, you don't have to fly off the handle just because they're not paying attention anymore. Try Uh to find ways to get them back on point. And you got to be willing to take a deep breath. Uh You just need to take a breath. They're not doing it on purpose right? Uh-huh. Um, with younger kids, you know, sometimes I'll try to, you know, I'll try to create eye contact. If I see, if I'm losing them, I'll try to create some eye contact directly with them. And that alone will tend to pull them back in. So I do think is number one, finding out what skills they use to be a little bit more effective. And then the second part is, is that really keeping a sense of humor, staying patient and taking a uh-huh. deep breath. Like you got to chill out a little bit.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure it helps if they're also like passionate about the sport like you are, because a lot of times if you're engaged, it's because you're like very into it. Mm -hmm. So is there things you've done to try to get people more into it at times? Like when they're not paying attention?
1: um, Yeah, you know, it's funny. That's actually funny you bring that up. I haven't thought about this a long time. When I was at Berkeley, we used to have a huge whiteboard that I'd roll out on the pool deck every day. And I had like three or four people in my group that were very ADD and Uh probably ADD with, with some hyper. And what we would do is before the practice started, I would have the whole group, but especially them write on the whiteboard, what their mission was of that practice. They created something important for themselves. Uh And when you're once again, empowerment, I think tends to help people with ADD that they need to feel like that they have something important to accomplish because when people with our gift, have sent something of importance, like, you know, making sure they put the fire out. That's important. So I would create, they would create, sorry, I misspoke. They would create goals or objectives for that workout. And people with a lot of ADD, I might even say, all right, for the next 30 minutes, let's create a goal. Uh And they would write it on the whiteboard. And then that I would keep bringing them back to that goal, whatever they wanted, you know, for swimming, it'd be like great turns or you know maybe something about their technique, but you could do the same thing in school. Um it's a little harder in a group setting, but that was for coaching one of the ways that I did it to create an elevated level of focus. I think mm. the other thing is goal setting can really help people because once again it's their goal, creates more importance, creates more uh-huh. passion. Um, so those are a couple of ways that I would try to 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 steer people with our gift into a uh-huh. situation they can become more successful.
0: Yeah. That sounds interesting. I don't know. It it
1: actually worked. It was fun. They always like writing on the board too. So once (laughs) again, they're more involved in it. So that was just a way, but I really do believe empowering people creates more importance to them Uh and things are important to people with ADD. They tend to do a much better job of. And so I always look for ways to create their own value on their particular objective or goal. Uh
0: huh. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Or and at least then, that's
1: the goal. I mean, you have to laugh yeah. sometimes because it doesn't work, but.
0: Yeah. And then um, what can friends and family members do to provide support for someone with ADHD?
1: Keep a sense of humor. Realize it's not personal. They're not doing it to you. This isn't something that someone with ADD is doing to you. You're not, it's it's happening. And especially with younger people where maturity and discipline do play into it. Um But I do think it's taking a breath, being willing to walk away. And in terms of the helping them and supporting them, I do think structure, consistency and structure Mm -hmm. really do help. So being consistent as a parent, being consistent as a teacher, as a coach, that you're consistent about what your, what your parameters are. I call them barbed wire. Like what are, what are, what are the rules of which we're going to play this game? I think that I don't know medically if that's the case, but in my experience of teaching a lot of people,
0: Uh um,
1: If I'm consistent about how I operate, people with ADD tend to be more effective, in my opinion. So, as a parent or as a sibling or whatever, being consistent—you know—we're going to bed at similar times. We tend to eat at the same time. We we do our homework at similar times. I think that consistency does provide a more—it just provides more structure. And people with Uh ADD do tend to struggle with keeping structure together. Yeah. I don't know if do you agree with that that the structure helps.
0: I think structure helps. Yeah. Even though we don't really like structure that yeah. much, but yeah. yeah.
1: And I don't mean it has to be so tight that like yeah. they, they're, they're suffocated, but there's at least a consistency of how things and especially things are successful. It's amazing to me. And Kate, I'll tell you something that actually just kind of popped into my head. It's amazing to me how successful people tend to repeat habits that are successful like for example, if you have a particular place in your house that you, you study well in, repeat that. And people that are successful tend to do that. People mm-hmm. that are not as successful tend to keep trying to reinvent the wheel over and over. They try to, do, I'm going to go to this place to study, I'm going to study in this place. And, and they don't tend to find what works for them and then repeat it. So I do mm-hmm. think that consistency in your own actions, I do really well listening to classical music. I do really well when my room is clean first. I, and you learn your own strategies and then repeat, repeat, repeat. Young uh-huh. people, I think, tend to struggle with repeating what works. Once you've found something that works, hold on to it, keep it. Uh-huh. You've developed it, it's your secret sauce. And I think that can make all the difference in the world. I really do that. You find your method that works and then repeat it. Don't go uh-huh. away from when you know what works.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. And then, as we wrap up the meeting, is there any like hyper fixations that you've had in the past that you think would be interesting to share? Like, what type of things have you hyper focused on?
1: <laughs> that's only someone with ADD could ask that question. <laughs> Literally, Kate, that's funny. No one else would ask me that question. Okay. Um, I have a little bit of a cleaning problem. I do. I tend to be very that. fixated. Oh, Jesus.
0: <laughs> I clean my closet. Uh, out randomly and like clean everything and reorganize everything but
1: yeah I've, I find being obsessed about if I'm not if everything's not clean and organized uh or organized I literally can see like pencils out of place in the <laughs> middle of doing something and the next thing you know I'm like over here <laughs> fixing my pencil case It just uh-huh. those things things that are out of order distract me a lot
0: uh-huh. um
1: I tend to do very well in creative free-flowing projects but when things need to be in a line, if they're not in a line, it, it really does. This is kind of embarrassing to admit. I guess there's a stigma. Um, it's kind of embarrassing that it unnerves me when, when things aren't in their spot, when they're in their uh-huh. place. It really does unnerve me. And
0: it bothers I, I me laugh too. at myself.
1: Is that same thing me for you?
0: Grace doesn't care, but it bothers me. <laughs> yeah.
1: And but instead of thinking like the way I would try to rephrase this for myself, instead of resisting that, like it's some bad thing, just keep it organized and like learn to live with Mm -hmm. it. It's not a bad characteristic and Uh sure. It's a little bit quirky, but as long as you can know what it is and then you can put it to good use. So your room's really organized. Okay. Just take care of it and then take care of the next thing you have to do. I don't think it, I don't think it is necessarily a weakness, even Uh though it is a little quirky, right? Uh I'll clean out the refrigerator. I mean, who does that? Right. It's just, Uh But it's important to me when I see it, then all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, this is the most important thing. And Uh I've got to go to a meeting or whatever, but I'm still cleaning out the refrigerator because I get a little bit OCD about it. Yeah. I think, do you think OCD and I'm not trying to throw around these (laughs) like they're no big deal and ADD, they go a little bit hand in hand?
0: I think there's some connections, probably. Is
1: there? Okay. I I don't know medically if there are or not, but I, for me, there's at
0: times I feel like there might be connections and you can probably have both. So, you know.
1: Right. That's but yeah. true, but someone like you—you've been so successful with it that you have to have a series of coping skills. And I—I I would be surprised if you didn't have, you know, a number of things that you do to be as successful as you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and you—you you have been smart enough to repeat them. And and I have—I have a feeling you use those those systems or those habits to become as effective as you are.
0: I try. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's not easy though. It's not easy. Uh And it's, I think it's, you know, when you're younger, the struggle is real. I think when you're Mm -hmm. younger, it, as you get older, you start to understand it a little bit better. But when you're younger, that struggle is real. And it does hurt at times. It really does. I can tell people though, that are younger, like it does get better. It does get easier. And you'll learn, you'll learn really that it is a gift.
0: Well, thank
1: you for doing this interview with me. Oh, I had tons of fun. No, I really did. And I appreciate your questions. I thought uh-huh. really some of them were very insightful because you kind of surprised me a little bit that you would ask a question like that because most people don't. And it tells me hey. you really you live with it and you, uh, I think, have a good attitude about it, which uh-huh. I find really refreshing. I really do.
0: Just a couple things to tie up before the episode finishes. First, if you have a story about living with neurodiversity and would like to share, please email me. Also, if you have questions or comments, feel free to email me as well at twiceexceptionalpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider following the podcast on our TikTok and Instagram at twice underscore Thanks for all the support I've already gained on both of those platforms.